today is so I've recently been reading a book by a guy called Dr. Robert Lustig, uh, who's probably the world's most respected pediatric endocrinologist, and he is the first person to expose the problems of sugar in our diet in a big way. Uh, and uh, uh, sh having a large amount of sugar in your diet's not good. In a nutshell, it's a it's a precursor to type two diabetes essentially. And so this has has become more um, a subject that people are aware of, and it's finding its way slowly through the medical prof profession to the point where low carb diets are being. Uh, prescribed to people with type 2 diabetes and pre-diabetic and so on. So he's, he's a pioneer. In the process of doing all of this, one of the things that he's learned about and understands thoroughly is the relationship of various chemicals in the brain. Uh, so what, what are known as neurotransmitters. In a very simplistic way, there's a neurotransmitter for pretty much every major psychophysiological state. A couple that you'll read about, uh, so there's th these two uh, evil chemicals that are implicated very often. One's called cortisol and the other is called dopamine. Uh, and dopamine gets a lot of press because it, it's part of a process of addiction, it's actually it's it's among other things. It does it, all of these things have very many different tasks in the body and in the brain. Uh, but one of the key dopamine tasks is a reward. And so a lot of study was done into addiction, and they discovered that there was what's known as a dopaminergic pathway that gets activated when people take the drug. And that also contributes to the addictive craving state. The other neurotransmitter that gets a lot of press is a thing called cortisol. And what cortisol does is it's a stress chemical, the, the key stress chemical. So, you know, if you wake up in the morning and you're stressed and you go through the day and you're stressed because of high levels of cortisol. One of the other things that it does in the body, the other very key activity is that it regulates the immune system. So cortisol is produced by the adrenal glands, which is why someone who's experienced chronic stress very often has a suppressed immune system. And it's pretty obvious. And if you read Lustig's book, it's pretty acceptable to recognize that stress suppresses your immune response and that goes a long way to explaining the huge number of autoimmune diseases that we get in modern society. So what's that got to do with society? Well it's actually quite a lot. Uh, the, the dopamine side is really interesting. So what modern marketing has done is it has told you that you can be happy if you have some person, place, thing, or experience to be happy. Hands up, anyone who's got who watches television. Okay, what happens is you're watching a ridiculously attractive celebrity driving through the south of France. There's no traffic on the road. They're able to drive down onto the beach and skim along the water. They're free they're happy, life is good, the sun is shining and what's happening is, is that the image is transporting you into that and you're thinking I want some of that, yeah I want to buy that car then I can, I can have that experience and the, the way that it does that is, is by stimulating your dopamine in your brain which is a little reward, great I'll have that, I'll have that, so you go out and you buy the car and you get this dopamine hit. Yeah, that's brilliant. I feel good. Da, 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 da. Now, 
everything comes with a price. Obviously, there's the money that you've spent on the car, but the other price is this. There's another chemical called serotonin, which is the happy chemical. When you're happy, when you're not rewarding yourself, but you might be sitting on a grassy bank in the sunshine, looking into the distance, and all's well with the world, right? It's a different chemical. What happens is dopamine suppresses the serotonin. Rewarding yourself stops you from being happy, literally and absolutely. And you can see this happen. You can see it happen in your life. So what's the difference between reward, pleasure, distraction, escapism, comfort? What's the difference between that and happiness? The difference, very simple. It's, do you need more of the same thing? So happiness is the experience of feeling good without needing anything. Escapism, distraction, comfort and pleasure is the experience of feeling good when you have that thing, place, person or experience that brings you escapism, distraction, comfort and pleasure. And the only way to maintain it is to get more of it. Happiness is the opposite. Happiness is you don't need anything external. You don't need escapism, distraction, comfort and pleasure. You can be happy without it. And most of it experience happiness, but it's tiny little experiences in this relentless battering of dopamine. So why do we do it? Why do we seek escapism, distraction, comfort and pleasure? Very simple, because of the cortisol. So the cortisol is the stress chemical. If you navigate the modern world at any level, so you can just walk out of here, you can walk in, there's a shopping centre across the road, right, and there's a main street and so on and so forth. Uh, it's going to trigger stress, yeah, because there are people there that will stress you out and the experience will stress you out. Not only that, there's lots and lots of reward opportunities, or should I buy this, should I buy that, should I buy the other. So you've got this situation where you are under pressure and you are stressed and there's a quick fix available. And a quick fix could be sugary foods, alcohol, cigarettes, retail therapy, having a new kitchen, car, house, extension, whatever. And what that's doing is that's offsetting your mood, which is drawn down by the stress chemical cortisol. So, what to do about all of this? Only understand that what's happening. Notice it. Notice what's happening. Notice how you're drawn to escapism, distraction, comfort and pleasure. Acknowledge it. Get comfortable with it. Be aware of it. Notice yourself wanting. Notice yourself replacing want with need. I need a new car, extension, kitchen, whatever it might happen to be. doesn't matter what it is. Yeah, Because we need a new, because the old one doesn't do the thing that we want it to do. The new one will. Uh, and what it will do is it will give us this sense of, yeah, that's, oh, oh, that, that looks good. That feel better, feel better now. A little dopamine kick, dopamine kick. Yeah. If we were truly happy, we'd be happy with the old whatever it is, and we wouldn't need the new one. Yeah. And like I said, there's no silver bullet to this. I think it was about three or four years ago, four years ago, something like that, some money was burning a hole in my pocket, and I was thinking, well, I should buy a car. I should buy a car. I'd even formulated the car that I wanted, and I noticed this, and I'm thinking, what's going on here? <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to be uh, not the sort of person that's drawn to wanting a car. 
So what I did is I, I, I noticed this going on. I had it always sorted in my head. It was going to be an Audi A5 because, uh, you know, they're, they're nice and smooth and round and car-like and cool and all this kind of stuff. And what I did is I started looking not at the car as an image in my mind as something to give me escapism, distraction, comfort and pleasure. But I started looking at the car itself. I, th I think it's Lao Tzu in the Tao Te Ching who said, to understand the limitation of things, desire them. So what I did is I started looking actually at cars. Looking at the shape of cars, looking at the colour of cars, looking at the sounds that cars make. And separating that from the desirable image of the car. I didn't actively separate, but the more you look at the detail of something, the more it separates it from the image in your head. I discovered something. All cars look the same, don't they? You know, you go back to the 50s or whatever, you'd have a Cadillac Eldorado with big wings on the back of it, and, you know, you'd have a... a You'd have a Volkswagen Beetle and that'd be all round. And the reason all cars look the same is because they have to create a limited amount of injury when they hit a pedestrian. So human bodies being largely the same, the human body will roll and bounce over the car as opposed to being crushed underneath it, which is why what it's all about, all the round bits. And there's an optimal shape, optimal shape for that. And that's the shape of the modern car. So they all look the same. They all look the same. And as I'm walking along looking at the cars, they're all sitting in the same traffic jams. They're not skimming the beach in Antibes or driving along the, the Corniche in the sunshine. And if you've ever been to the Corniche, it's a traffic jam of cars. <laughs> all driving along the Corniche. Uh, hoping <laughs> to imagine the experience of, you know, the, the, the ridiculously attractive celebrities. So I, I just noticed this happening. That's it. And I, I know, and it happens. It happens. And I notice it happen and become aware of it and then look at the details of it. And then I decided not to buy a car the desire went away I can do this you can't because what you're doing is when you watch the TV you're getting another injection of the desirability of the car or whatever it might happen to be whatever floats your boat there it is and that advertising and the images that it creates are so prevalent that it doesn't matter what it is you really like there is some advertising for it. It's like the yellow car thing. You, you, you know, no yellow cars, right? Until you think you're going to buy a yellow car and then they're everywhere. There are no adverts for fridges until you want a fridge and the fridge adverts are everywhere. So it's the same with whatever it is. Whatever you believe you want or need to make you feel better it's there. And that is getting in the way of our happiness. Because while it leaves us in this place where we are only stressed unless we're having the thing that we need that makes us feel so good that it offsets the feeling of stress. Welcome to the 21st century. So now, all that's quite convoluted and complex. And if you actually know what you're talking about, you need to be able to teach it to children. So now you're all seven. Listen to the sound of the bell moving through time. Stay with it.
just stay with that movement through time. That's happiness, that is. Notice there's no need for a thing. And it's only ever found in the present moment. So here's another test. Explanation for little children. Close your mouth, put your fingers over your nose, and pinch your nose. Stay there. And notice at some point you have to stop doing that. When you stop, you're reconnecting to the life force of the planet Earth. That's what that air is. That breath. That oxygen. We can't disconnect from it for more than three minutes. The bell is evidence of what happiness is. The fact that we need the oxygen that's been put there by plants over two billion years is evidence we're connected. Teach your children. And so we can find both the connection and the happiness by noticing the breath. Because in the movement of the breath is the same movement of the present moment that we can find in the sound of the bell. It's the same. Notice. Belly rising and falling. Notice the air entering and leaving the nostrils. connection and its happiness.
and the mind will intervene because the mind has been programmed by the consumer society to want, need, desire, avoid, act, have, collect. And noticing the breath is being and connecting. And that sense of happiness and connection. Notice we find it not by having something, but by letting go of something. The thing that we let go of is the thoughts. And the emotions, the desire, the needs, the wants. best way to let go of them is to acknowledge them and release them. So when a thought arises, if your mind's busy, acknowledge the thought. Don't try and avoid it. We're acknowledging it. We're accepting it. We're appreciating it. And we're saying in our mind, thinking, thinking. So we're noticing the breath rising and falling. Entering and leaving the nostrils. Noticing the movement of the belly. developing a relationship with thought and with all of the drives where we're observing them not where we're trying to avoid them where we're noticing it happening <laughs> 
and that's what noting does, labelling. Finding a word at a very high level that separates us from something. And repeating that word in our mind. So when thought arises, gently acknowledging it, saying very softly in the mind, thinking, thinking. Cool breath in, warm breath out. something that will happen is that the stress will remain under the focus on the breath. So what we want to do is check in from time to time and release musculoskeletal tension, which is how the body retains stress keeping you alert to the presence of threats. So checking in, step one, posture. Ideally, 
feet flat on the floor, elbows by the side, head balanced comfortably on top of the spine. Tongue against the back of the top teeth, gently in contact with the sharp part of the bottom teeth. Ideally, first finger and thumb very, very gently in contact. And bring your attention to your out breath as you allow the mind to scan through the body. bringing your awareness to wherever there's tension. The easiest place to find it is in the shoulders. And so you're noticing the shoulders falling as you breathe out. tend to hold a lot of stress in our faces as well. Bringing your attention to the eyes, eyebrows, cheeks, Keeping the tongue against the sharp part of the bottom teeth as you breathe out. Also on the out-breath, noticing the mouth and lips, jaw and throat. Switch off your physiological tension in your body. Learn to become comfortable with doing that. And the, the sensation is the sensation we experience when we allow ourselves to slump. And if we're in a open, balanced and relaxed posture, breathing in as we breathe out, just allow yourself to slump. But what's happening is because your head's balanced comfortably on top of the spine, you don't slump forward because your elbows are by the side, your back's straight. When we teach children to meditate, we say to them, sit like a frog. And they haven't become all self-conscious, so they're comfortable doing that. We need to get back to that.
So there's a cycle of relaxation. And now, back to noticing the breath, wherever it's the most comfortable for you. Noticing the movement of the belly, the air entering the nostrils, hitting the back of the throat, whatever's most comfortable, whatever's most frictionless. For the busy mind folks whose inner chatter doesn't silence for a moment, you can repeat in your mind, you can say in your mind, rising, falling, as you notice the breath. Or even better, on each out breath, first out breath, may I be well. Second out breath, may I be happy. Third out breath, may I have peace of mind. May I be well. May I be happy. May I have peace of mind.
So whenever our mind is drawn away, we turn it to the tiny little of sliver of time that is awareness of the present moment and the breath. And if the draw is powerful, when we come back to presence, back to the body, we need to release some tension. Because the intensity of the thoughts and emotions will create tension in the body. So again, we're checking in posture. Biohacks, tongue in contact with the sharp part of the bottom teeth. First finger and thumb very gently connected. Focusing on where our personal tension is as we breathe out. Letting our awareness direct our attention, but wherever that tension is. releasing the tension on the out-breath. Shoulders, face, jaw, neck, torso, hands, to release tension from the hands, draw your awareness, your attention down from the wrist to the tips of the fingers as you breathe out.
So something that you can do is focus on one place in the body. For a lot of reasons, I tend to use my eyes. So it might be the cheek just beneath an eye, or the eye itself. But it can be the shoulders, can be the fingers, can be the jaw, the hand, whatever it happens to be. And what you're doing is letting the body signal to you how relaxed it is. And all you're doing is focusing sharply on that place in the body and noticing the out-breath. Only the outbreaths. mind wanders, you just bring your attention back there.
very gently returning your attention to the breath, noticing the rising and falling thereof. releasing tension on the out-breath from the entire body. Noticing whatever it is you can smell and taste. And the sensation of sitting, the feeling of being pushed into the ground. And in your very, very own time, gently return your attention to your surroundings. <laughs> 